Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. So this is part two of the interview I did with Mason Gravely of the Adventure Sports podcast. So here we go. So <laughs> please, because I, I was going to say, if you said no, yeah. I was going to say statistically, that's got to be impossible. Dude, yeah. So <laughs> it, it is... The more people, I, we, I know plenty of cyclists that have been hit and killed. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Now it's kind of like motorcycles; like it's just kind of a higher, higher percentage of folks. But this summer we did this ride, and it wasn't a pure bike touring coast to coast. It was just like a not not a guided, but it was like a marketing thing we were doing. So we had a van that was the support van, and it had it was all you know outfitted and had the logo on the, you know, the company, we were doing a lot of beer, passing out the beer and filming it and making a big deal about it as much as we could. Um, despite COVID, you know, we'd had to keep our, you know, right. distance, but we, we were making it a thing. And so I was more of like the van driver, me and this other guy, Nick. And so we would recruit cyclists based on where we were. We would, you know, we have a sales rep in Chicago. We'd have them bike across Illinois or Oh, sales okay. rep and so we just had our our our, our employees our, our co-workers really commit to like pretty much state lines like bike from this state to this state this state to this and they would carry a beer tap across the country like a like literally oh no way like, like the, the, yeah. the, the olympic torch yeah pretty much yeah they, the so olympic it was keg <laughs> yeah, the olympic uh beer tap beer tap baton is what it was but so at the end of one of the days in iowa man i was like you know i'm gonna one of the guys had, who was riding, he knocked out like 120 miles by like one o'clock. Oh, in the wow. Afternoon. He was crushing. Chris, Jeez. if you're listening, you you killed it. And so I was like, hey, it's only one. Let me just, let me jump on the bike and I'll knock out, you know, 20, 30 miles just to get a head start for tomorrow. Yeah. So I got on the bike, man. And within, this is the first time I had ridden on the whole ride and we were already halfway across the country. And so, but I, I had been behind, you know, on the van, in the van for like two weeks. So I'm like, I want to get out there. Yeah, on the road. yeah. Man, within like ten minutes, this truck hit me, going down the highway, and uh, hit me with its mirror, going full speed. So just the mirror and oh, the side wow. of the truck yeah. scraped me, but the mirror hit me right in the back of the, right in the top of my back, like the shoulder essentially in my neck. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. A few inches to the right, it would have killed me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but now the mirror snapped off, hit me in the head and just kind of broke into a bunch of pieces. Um, but the truck never stopped or slowed down. It was going. Just took right off. No, it it would never, it was flying. It was flying. It was going 60, 70 miles an hour. Geez, I wonder if the speed of it helped because. It was it going just fast shattered enough. Shattered the yeah. whole thing. I'll, I'll be honest. It didn't. Uh, like, just imagine a vehicle driving and it just you get hit with the mirror. It sounds like it'd be really painful, and it was painful. But it, it was like you ever had someone just just really slap you as hard as they could in the back. Like I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like a college frat guys <laughs> do that. You know, I mean, just, my dad used to do it. Just just hit us. Uh, in a funny way, you know? that sounds yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> but he, you know, he was a little rough, but you know, just slap you in the back. That's kind of what it felt like. But I was pretty sore. But it really wasn't that big a deal. It just felt it was just realizing how close it was. Yeah, yeah. Think, so. Well, because that's the thing. I you know, you pass bicycles uh, on the not on the freeway, but on the highways and stuff where the speed limit's fifty five, and I'm always just thinking to myself. Whoa, it's just you're, so you're close. Th- you're this far from cars. I know, like, all day. I know. And you have oh, cow like, on a cross country ride. I don't even know what this. You know, you probably have tens of thousands of opportunities to get killed. Yeah, every, well, every, the whole yeah. time, you know, that every car thing's... that goes by, people. T- I mean, you look around when you drive anywhere. It's mind blowing how many people are looking down, like at their phones. Yeah, that's that's, that's sort of the scary new new thing, you know. But <clears throat> that same town. I went and talked to some some cops afterwards to report it because it was a hit and run. Yeah, know? yeah. And uh, and the van, so we had a support van, but it was like ten miles up the road. So right. They didn't see anything. I, this person couldn't have known I was with that group or with that 
athletic brewing, but, uh, it was wild, man. But we reported it and the cop was like, yeah, we've had three people this week, cyclists get killed in this town. Wow. And two of them were bike tours, like going cross country. Really? One of them was in the running for the mayor of Jackson, Wyoming. Yeah. Huh. Just a, just super normal people, man. Just, just out for one. One was out for like a morning ride terrible got hit by this nurse this lady who a single mom who's a nurse and just tired i guess fell asleep at the wheel so really bad situations all around but see and you worry about me i I don't know that's what i'm saying it's a completely (laughs) like help where is help where is help is i guess my well, that's yeah. I mean, obviously, there's there's none of that. There's no cell phone reception. I feel like I feel like I got it hit, you know. So the cars behind. If I would have been like demolished, I feel like cars would have stopped and helped. But then, yeah, right, it right. doesn't matter because you're dead. So well, I just I always think it's just so funny because you know, and then you take another guy like uh, Alex Honnold. Uh, yeah, Alex Honnold declines. Yeah. I mean, he, he and it's it's sort of interesting. I've never been able to talk to him, but. Um, it would be kind of cool just to chat just because, you know, I do my trips untethered um, yeah. and it pales into comparison to, to what he's doing. But there's still that same sense about when you make that mistake. If you know if you're going to make a mistake, you're pretty much that's it. It's game over. There's there's this focus that comes about you. And uh, but I, at the same time, I, that's the only thing I have in common with that guy. I would. It makes my palms sweat just thinking about climbing untethered up something like that. No, man. Well, well, uh, what scares me about the ocean was we had a guy on the show. This was before I was host. It's a a famous story. I'm just forgetting his name. He wrote a book. He was sailing across, I think, a race across the Atlantic. Yeah, and and he was in a life raft. uh, Callahan, I think. Yeah, he was in a life raft. He was. They've done like seventy, seventy something days. Yeah. Yeah. And. I've 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 listened to the episode, but Discovery Channel put it together like a little mini doc. It was on a show. Mm-hmm. And I watched it like two weeks ago, and it just randomly got recommended. And uh, it was a reenactment. It was actually a pretty good actor reenacted. It was like, dang, this feels pretty real. Right. A lot of those are pretty cheesy, but it was he was laying there in his cabin just sleeping. Yeah, and then water. Gushing in. Boom. He still doesn't know. He never knew what what actually happened, whether he hit something or, you oh know, if just because he built that boat himself. Man, I got to show you something about what, like hitting random stuff. People ask me that one a lot. Holy cow. But but my what scared <laughs> me to death about that, because my wife and we're going, when we go down to that marina, it's like, man, this is tempting. These boats are... Oh, a lot less than yeah, houses, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like this, you're doing be, risk assessment now. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that would be so cool. And you're obviously be someone I would reach out to. Like, oh, totally. What does it take? Because we know people like SV Delos. SV Delos. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. had them on the show. Oh, they're okay, a family nice. that lives out there. You know, yep. they're like it was they two do, couples. They do some real sailing. I oh mean, yeah, yeah. Holy smokes! They do some. They do some crazy stuff. Um, but what scared me so much about Stephen's experience. It just was like three minutes, and his boat was, yeah, swamped and just. And it was like, oh my, three minutes, like how that would take me enough time to grab my, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just so scary to think your your windows that small, yeah, and your I don't know your protections that small. I don't know. That's and it's what's the middle me. of the night. Well, yeah. I, just a quick story. When I was learning to get learning to do like offshore stuff okay um, yeah we we're down in australia with a school called flying fish and we were building our sea miles and the year before they had been out and it was like a a 40 foot beneto or something that they were using i think there were maybe six people on board and they were 15 miles or so off the coast of australia north of sydney and the keel fell off and the boat sank within, I think, like a minute. And what? Three, of, I believe it was three. Three of them survived and swam to shore. And the other three went down because the ship, it just went down like a rock. I mean, when the keel falls off, you just get this gaping hole in the bottom of your boat. And it's just like, wow. I heard that story. I was just thinking to myself, it can happen. 
you know, blink of an eye. I'm, I'm looking at your eyes all wide and like, holy smokes, you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's so but like, that's super uh, rare. We're going to, super rare. We're just going to get a move in an RV. That was like <laughs> my thing where it's like, you know, it's, you know, a tire could blow out and we flip us. That's well, possible. Here's, but. here's the good news. The good news is that you can, if you're, if you're prepared to, take it a little slower out on the ocean like i do uh you can buy a boat where there's no they're built so strong my boat mighty sparrow west sail 32 it's not fast but it would take literally a, a container ship to hit me to sink that thing and there's stories about container ships hitting west sails and the west sail just bounces off of it it's <laughs> okay. just cosmetic so there are boats out there that you know, I, I could run mine aground and just leave it there for a year and come back and just sail it right off. You're just an expert on all this. So I, I want to ask while well, I'm here, because I've only yeah. been here like six months. And so <laughs> we, we, we go hiking or there's, you know, there's all these preserves or beaches and there's just boats like hey, yeah. aground tilted. Oh, right. What right, is right. that? Uh, Who delete? Why, why is the boat? Why are the boats left? Uh, pretty much it's sort of one of the, the tragedies with that's come along with with fiberglass boats um you know old wooden boats you still would have seen you know 50 years ago or something i'm sure you would have seen the same thing uh-huh. uh, but those boats decompose and break apart and yeah, just yeah. turn into debris now with fiberglass these boats basically will last 100 years sitting on a beach because and there's no way to like they have to be yanked off. I mean, essentially, these are boats that are either abandoned on purpose because people can't afford them anymore, or you know, they ank somebody anchors their boat and they're like, yeah, you know, and then they just take off and they. Yep, they, I see them like, for free on Craigslist all the time. It's yeah, like, hey, if you yeah. can dig it out, you can have it. Right, right, right. Exactly. What is that? Is it not worth it? Uh, no. Well, I as as and I get this a lot when when people are trying to they they think they want to change their lives and go get a boat the problem is it's a boat no matter if somebody gives you a free boat they're basically handing you a very expensive bill <laughs> like and a horse even though <laughs> even though you don't have to pay for the boat yeah you still have to pay for moving it where it's gonna stay all that sort of fixing stuff. it up if it's yeah, damaged yeah and most of those boats you know those could be um leftovers from hurricanes and things like that totally. in the caribbean is still littered with boats from hurricane maria and hurricane irma and that was 2017 i mean littered there's still places where there's there's you know 100 150 foot old cargo vessels that are still stuck on the land in the bvi so it's just like a whole diff it's a whole culture man that 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 the the language the the people in it it's like walking it's like near here is Ocala, and there's it's like horse culture. It's like right, a whole right, world. Right. Yeah, we we were in it, and like you just get a look, and you're like, oh my god, I had no idea all this was going on. Conferences and you know, well known <laughs> figures and books, and it's like you get in this sailing world. It's like the same thing. It's like wow, there's there's a whole world that we're just it's right on the edges of society because it's on the water, and it's it's just crazy, man. It's really well, cool, and and it. it it sort of splinters in, you know, if you, if you think you're confused talking to like just a regular sailor, talk to somebody who races sailboats. And even I'm sitting there going, all right, wow. I, <laughs> I'm not really catching what he's talking about, <laughs> but it's only cause I've, I've never, I I've had a lot to do with racing when I was, you know, working at the bitter end and stuff, but I've never been like an actual sailboat racer. I like to, I'm a cruiser. Yeah. I think is what you would call me. But, hey, that's uh, our pace. That's my pace. I, yeah. you know, I, I, same with cycling. I don't race at all. It's a right, whole right. world talking about stuff I, you know, don't really care for or think about. And it's just like I really out there to cruise, cruise around and see stuff, talk to people, and just racing the have season. stories. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Get out of Alaska before the winter comes in. Let me show. Let me show you this. And and we can. We got? All right, so here we we helped we partially sp- helped sponsor this team to row across the Atlantic this year. Oh, nice! The Talisker Whiskey Challenge. I don't know if you ever. Yeah, heard wasn't that. there? How many? How many were so in there? There were like, there's like 30, 40 teams. So that's the team we helped called Latitude Thirty Five, and they're just getting oh, some nice. free plugging. But they were like promoted by Lance Armstrong, and just I don't. They it was a, they they got second place. Oh wow! But I don't show them. I don't show that to you to just tell you about him. I show it to you to see if you've ever heard 
of anything like this happening. Where is it? Look at that. See that? Sticking up through the hole. Ooh, what do we got? So let me tell oh, you. Oh, so is that a swordfish? A swordfish. The beak. Beak went yeah. straight through their, their hole. Uh-huh. Right between the legs of one of the dudes sleeping on the mattress. <laughs> oh, what are the chances Dude, so that? water just starts squirting up. Look at that. That's underneath. Oh, my you see gosh. That? It, it's broken off pretty deep in there. Then they got to get down there and fix it, and they sawed it off flat. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Well, they should have painted the bottom of that red. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> uh, that's, it could be a theory. Because, you know, those those fish, when they're chasing uh, bait and stuff, yeah. I mean, they're moving really fast. I think they're the fastest animals in the world. Pretty like, close. Yeah, I think... I'd have to watch Planet Earth again, Blue Planet, but I want to say the sailfish might be. But uh, no, it um, it's it's sort of an interesting thing with my boat being I paint the bottom of it red, and it sort of really st- stands out, I guess. And that's my thinking. It also is the same color as krill, so that's a little scary when the whales are around. But uh, yeah, yeah. If you tough. had a blue bottomed boat. I don't know. I wonder if it would blend in. As if you're a fish, would you not really see it if you're moving at thirty or forty miles an hour chasing? Blue somewhere? marlin, blue marlin. They said it was. I don't know how they can tell because all those beaks. I don't know. Kind of look the same. Oh, I don't right, know. Right. They, oh, they might yeah, be able to tell. That, okay, okay. Because I, I had heard stories about uh, swordfish fishermen. You know, in the olden days, in like wooden boats and things. I guess you know, getting their boats broken apart by them just because they're such powerful fish and they've got this big sword on the front of them. And, you know, I mean, it's super dangerous trying to catch those things, pull them on your, on your boat. I think the first thing they do is grab that thing and saw it off like wow. modern day fishermen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Dude, that's uh, I had know never, know what's going to come up from never heard. No, no kidding, man. <laughs> so, so I wonder if that's what happened to, uh, is it Steven? Steven Callahan. Um, yeah, I, you know, it, it could have it's been so just random. some debris. I mean, literally off that coast, the the current and the wind basically drives anything all south along that coast of the western coast of Africa. So it could have been, uh, you know, a refrigerator floating around totally. out there for all he knows. And have it, you ever seen something like that out there? Uh, I've only seen smaller stuff. Uh, I've seen it in great abundance, you know, in like south of Bermuda. Um, the biggest stuff I saw was in the South Atlantic garbage patch. And some of it were like huge nets and things like that. They're that all balled up. And uh, I'm trying to think maybe a 55 gallon drum or two, but uh, normally those are like the plastic ones. So I, I've heard stories about containers. Like, you know, you get the, especially the refrigerated containers and Recently, in the Pacific, there was some cargo ship that dropped like 1,600 containers in the water. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of them are going to sink, but there are some that if they fall the right way and the the container, what it, what it has inside, you know, jams up against the door or whatever, then all of a sudden it's just basically a, a, a mobile buoy out there yeah. that, yeah, if you smack into it. And... Yeah, again, you, you know, at night you can't sit there with a flashlight and point it off the bow. That's just not realistic. So you just you just sort of chance it. But again, it's such a vast open place that the chances of you hitting something are so slim that it's not worth sitting there and worrying about. But I, you know, when I start seeing debris and garbage floating, I know I'm in one of those gyres where, you know, the current has brought everything together. And that's that's going to be your best opportunity for hitting something big. That or the shipping lanes, but I don't know. It's it's one of those things. It's like it's like being out in the woods and thinking about bears. It's just going to totally freak okay. you out. Totally, it's it's one in a million. Yeah. You know, the, Steve's story is popular because it's the exception. You know, right. It's right. not. It's like getting chased by a bison, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I still love that story. I've listened to it a couple times. Man, I made that a couple of years ago now. Yeah, I can't it's, remember what I'm number sure episode cheesy. that was. I think it, it was. A, I think it was a bonus episode. I, what I was trying to do is is <laughs> increase the skills of like storytelling, yeah, with sound effects and stuff, just to see. But right, right. I don't know, man. This this podcast has gone to so many different places and times, and 
settle, it's settling in into what it's always been and probably will continue to be. I might do a few more things like that, but, uh, yeah, no, it's it, it great. I, I need more I just, stories though. I could just envision it. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, what, uh, so we were talking before like daily tasks. Oh yeah, yeah. What do you do to just pass time? Is, is it, is it hard to pass time or is no, it? Not, not for me. There, there's some situations where I'm sort of annoyed that I'm, I'm having to stay awake for longer than I want to to because i i'm dealing with like rain squalls and things like that and you have to stay awake for that yeah because the wind is shifting and changing and that that's the biggest thing you know you because if the wind all of a sudden cranks way up you can't just leave those sails up there else you know break something or or you know the boat's going to get really uncomfortable sort of stuff but at the same time if the wind drops off then the boat gets really uncomfortable because it's now rolling and the sails are slamming and again that'll break stuff so you're in a way your job when you're out at sea by yourself is you're you're like the caretaker of like the lighthouse you're always making sure everything's working okay and you're changing this changing that um but in the meantime a lot of it's just sort of waiting and i i have an affection for the sea to just be able to sit and watch and just observe the the horizon and the waves and the birds and all that sort of stuff. I I don't know. I could sit there for literally hours and just watch and listen to some music or sometimes not. Um, You know, my, my favorite thing is to just have a nice medium breeze and I'm sailing, you know, across the wind, the boat's moving well. And I'm just in a comfortable sort of reclined position on the boat, not getting splashed. And I'm just able to just stare out there. And a lot of times I'm not even thinking about anything. It's, it's like, I'm just letting, you know, all the visual just go right into my, into my brain. And that, you know, I don't, there's something about that. And I, I think, I think anybody can do that. Cause you think about how much people want to, and how much money they spend to go stay in a hotel that's on a beach. Yeah. You know, the only difference between that hotel and any other one is that it's on the beach and people will sit in those chairs and just whew, stare out it's there. It's like a campfire. You just, yeah. just stare at it. But yeah. it's the beach. Yeah, people, I mean, we go down all the time and it's, most people are going down there just to sit and look at it. Yeah, because it is. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I don't know why, but it's just, it's it's amazing. It's Especially like, when you got nice rolling, yeah. you know, waves coming in and stuff. I mean, it, it, as scary as it is when you get into pretty heavy weather, it's also beautiful. I mean, to see these, these big white caps and these big breaking waves, you know, when they get up in the 20 foot range, it's impressive. You're just, mm-hmm. it's noisy and you're like, whoa, because it feels like the waves are maybe 40 feet. You know, mm-hmm. they, they always say that if you're on a boat, you want to cut in half the height that you think you see <laughs> because you're sort of in that moment. But if you're if you're watching like a video of the yeah. waves from a boat, you're supposed to double it because, you know, whenever you video, it never does any justice. Right. Unless you're doing it from like a drone or something like that. Man, that is so cool. But, I, you cool. know, daily, daily wise. Yeah. I mean, you know, you wake up, you have your coffee. So that's normal. Everybody does that. How do you um, make your coffee? Uh, I just use that French press sitting right over there. I actually. It, oh, wow. I didn't have it on the AT, but uh, I bought it shortly after. And it's it's plastic. So it's it's uh, it stood the test of time. No kidding. It's Holy cow! That's what I use every morning—a French press. Yeah, it's I had to get easy. a I had to get a metal one. Oh really? You know they come glass typically. Yeah, I've yeah. I've broken five or six. Yeah, I can't have one on the no, boat. The glass. No, I can't just, imagine. Yeah, Because yeah. if that breaks, woof! I'm I'm out of luck. You got like, no coffee. That for cup of coffee. Nine months. Is, <laughs> the morning cup's not as essential as the I'm going to be up from you know two to four a.m. cup. You know. Just knowing that that's a, a possibility when I have to be up that late, then it, it makes it all better. But uh, yeah, you have your cup, maybe you, you have some breakfast, you do your boat checks, a few hours have gone by. And, and like I said, at noon, you got to do all the position reports and stuff. So I'm old school, so I'm doing it on a chart. And if the weather's good and I feel like it, I'll use a sextant to do the noon position. And it's it's not complicated uh, once you've done it a hundred or 200 times, it's, it's pretty much just a couple calculations, measure, measure the angle of the sun and stuff. But, um, and then the afternoon, you know, they usually read or, or just enjoy. And then, then you've always got the sundowner sort of cocktail hour. So 
you know, you, you have one or two cocktails and then sunset and it's like, I don't know. Then, then it's nighttime and you've got your stars or, or if the weather's great, you just head right down and go to sleep. I mean, I, I'm, I've never understood people that go out by themselves and say they only sleep for 30 minutes at a time. Like that sounds crazy. Really? Yeah. I don't understand. I, I would think that Just would for drive you into like a psychotic. To mo- like monitor stuff? Like yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I, when I think back to my first solo trip, which was from, it was like 300 miles from the BVI to Dominica. I barely slept on that because it was my first time. I didn't know how this was going to work. There were other ships around and I tried to do that like 15, 20 minute cat naps, had a little alarm. And then I remember... I think it was the second night, really tired by that point, and uh, set the alarm, and then I think I woke up like three hours later, and I was like, wow, okay, well, nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) It is wild. It's almost like you're, you know, got a car that's moving along, and you're just it's like being I'm in a Tesla. Sleep. <laughs> right. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> a little scary. A little scary. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's one of those things you you just have to sort of get used to it. And that's that's probably one of the biggest questions I always get is how how do you sleep while that boat's moving and stuff. And again, it, it just goes back to once that boat is in its nice rhythm, it's almost like uh, being in a little cradle. You're getting rocked. But as soon as anything changes, you know, if you, you're you're rocking your baby to sleep, as soon as you stop, the baby wakes up. It's the same for me out on the boat. And, you know, sometimes you accidentally sleep through something you shouldn't have, but uh, it's pretty rare. Because you're never really – I've only been in like a really deep sleep uh, probably a handful of times where I'm having crazy dreams. I wake up. I do not know where I am. You know, like, oh, oh. To up to the cockpit, like what's going on? And then you sort of like, wow, I was really asleep. I must have been <laughs> dead tired. Normally it's just, just under, you know, your your eyes are closed and your body's resting, but it's aware. You know what I mean? Wow. Do you miss it? Um, yeah, a little bit, but it's uh, it's hard to miss when you live on the boat. You miss it right now. Oh, oh. Uh yeah, because I I've been down here for a week and I cannot wait to get back to my bunk. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, because I, you know, the boat, I've set it up as best as I can for, for me living. On, and when I when I live on it, um, you know, when I'm on the dock. So I have two modes. I have offshore mode, which, you know, it, it changes how I set things up down below. But then dock mode is is trying to make it into essentially a tiny house. You know, there's decorations on the walls and, you know, the computers there and all this sort of stuff. And it's it's as comfortable as possible. And I love, there's some nights where I just sit in there and I'm just looking around and I just love being on the boat. I don't know. I, I, a lot of sailors, I think after a big trip would probably get back and be like, I don't even want to see that thing. When I finished my big trip, I was on the boat for, I think two weeks in the boatyard, um, just sort of cleaning it all out and, and putting it to bed, so to speak. But I wasn't in any big rush. Like I didn't go stay in a hotel or anything like that, so kind of weird, I guess, right? I don't, no, no, I, you make it sound so easy. Just the the you you know I don't know not easy. You, it feels like you have found I, your, like my your little thing. happy place. Yeah, your yeah. place. That's really cool. When I you know I I do sort of daydream. I, I'd love to own a piece of land at some point. You know, nothing huge, but maybe in Michigan or or you know Vermont or something like that. Who knows? But when I think about, you know, trying to like maybe build a cabin or something like that, I always circle back to just ship Sparrow over there and park it in the woods and just live on the boat. <laughs> I've already got solar. I've got all the cooking. Everything is there. And I could just build like a front porch. But then everybody just is like, oh, here goes Ted Kaczynski over there. He's right. living on his boat in the woods. But I, I don't see it that way. Right. No, that's <laughs> not a bad idea. There's, I, there's a, the, I'd say the marinas a lot. You, there's like different types of marinas I'm learning. There's like the real ritzy ones. And oh, yeah. There, there's like a, almost a more grungy one near a, close by too, where nice. it's like people are working on the boats and it's just that's a yeah. little more blue collar looking and. It looks like there's some folks living on the boats too. Yeah, so that would be if if the boats are out of the water, that's they are. that's sort of classified as a boat yard. Boat and yard. and it's it's interesting because a lot of the marinas and boat yards and stuff are sort of in this 
transitional state where uh, I think some big companies are starting to buy up all the little marinas and it's it's becoming harder and harder to find those small inexpensive places where you can live aboard on your boat you know year round if you want there and and with the boat yards it's it's definitely becoming more scarce to find one that you can live on your boat in the boat yard and do the work on your boat yourself because a lot of them you know they They'll say, well, you can you can be in here, but you can't you can't live on the boat. And if you do like the bottom paint, the the boat yard has to do it. So you have to pay them to do it, sort of thing. And so sort of the old days of of that being more commonplace, but there still are enough of them where you can you can still find them. I mean, that's that's those are the places I look for the grungy ones. Yeah, that seemed a little more like oh, they're way more style. fun. Yeah. Said, it's just like there was a bunch of there's young folks, there's old folks all just working and they've got their stuff underneath the boat and riding bikes up and you know, up and down the road. And I'm just like, that's, it's a community. People are really getting ready for adventures or, or whatever it is. They're, they're, they're working on something. It's, it's cool yeah. to see. And, and everybody's sort of sharing information and all that stuff. I, you know, I, I would equate it to, uh, I guess being in maybe like an RV park in some respects. Yes. Um, where, you know, people are, are still moving and doing things and going places and all that. Um, it wouldn't be like a, you know, like a trailer park where everybody's just sitting there and nobody goes anywhere. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like a, a lot of boats though, definitely don't move. They will find their dock and some people just like to live on sailboats. Just the, that water and that. Yeah. And there's, there's a few at the Marina I'm at that, that'll probably never move. And that's, I mean, it's, you know, that's, it's just a form of like a tiny house. Yeah. But the boat, it, it's, it's, it's meant for. It's meant to move. Yeah. But it, it won't. So that's interesting. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I you know it seems really appealing at times. It seems fun. Like a, like a tree house or something that's, it's yours. It's cozy. Yeah. Well, and I, that's one of the things I've thought about It's if I ever did, if I got to the point where I wasn't using Sparrow the way she's meant to be used. Like if I'm not going offshore and, and doing bigger passages, I would want to sort of sell it to somebody who wanted to do that just because, you know, the boat really belongs out in the ocean. And uh, to replace it, you know, you'll find some like 60-foot old clunker that you're really not going to take offshore because it's a little past its uh, expiration date. But think all the room you can – I mean, we're talking a boat as big as this house. Yeah. It's like, yeah. They are they are quite a ticket though, as far as trying to fix them up and at least make imagine. sure they don't sink. So that's that's the big one, man. That's the big one. Hold, you know, to close it up. What what is in the future for you? What do you have kind of going around in that brain? Uh, you know, I it's it's hard because, like I said, and I always run into this is that I already have the boat, and the boat is so purpose built for doing these big epic trips and one of the things I ran into on this last one was eventually I just didn't want to be out there anymore because the trip was sort of ruined. And I was like, I'm feeling just stuck. My mind started going places it shouldn't have gone. And, and I just, I realized that if you're going to isolate yourself on a boat and do one of these big trips, you really better want to be out there. I mean, you have to be a hundred percent committed because if there's even a little bit of doubt, then that that's gonna start to grow, or it can at least if things don't go your way. And you know, with the first trip, I was a hundred percent dead set on doing that for five years beforehand, and I never faltered. It never even for a second crossed my mind that I might not want to do it. Um, and I think that carried over into you know the entire trip, and then. Cause there were only maybe a couple of times where I ever even considered like, man, maybe there's an escape route here. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. But those were really tiny and they didn't last. But, um, I, you know, I would like to, as far as like deadpan plans, there's this crazy story from our family way back mid 1800s. to like 1820s, 1830s. I think my great, great, great grandfather, was on he was on the ships that would do the nitrates trade so they'd leave from europe go down the atlantic and they'd go around cape horn backwards up into the pacific and they'd mine the guano 
the bird oh, poop. Boy. Yeah. And they'd bring it back because the, the fields in Europe were basically barren. It, you know, over farmed for so many centuries. And so the nitrates were basically fueling the food. And, uh, so when he was, I think the second mate on a ship, so a younger man went on a trip and they had picked up all the stuff from some Island and we don't know which one it was, but as they're sailing back to go to Cape Horn and go back to Europe, um, they pass by two more islands that, that weren't in the pilot book. Like nobody knew where they were or what they were, but they were covered in it. And so my great, great, great grandfather got dropped off with another guy and they were left on the island to guard it. And they were going to sail back to Europe and then they would come back and pick them up. So literally we're talking like a year later. And fortunately, nine months later, another ship which I can't remember where they were from, ended up stopping and picking them and the guano up and then sailing back. So he got marooned on this island, which from what we believe is uh, an island called Howland Island, where Amelia Earhart, I think, had to either, either she crashed or she had to I don't know if it's land there or something. It's, they, they speculate it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's right on the equator, up in the middle of the Pacific. They're U.S. like... I don't even know what they would pacify them as because they're uninhabited, but the U.S. owns them. Uh, but the idea would be to sort of recreate that in a way. He, the the Captain Albert Rand, my great-great-grandfather, he uh, lived up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So what I would plan to do was leave from there, sail around Cape Horn backwards, and then at least get to the island to either spot it and if the weather is good enough, be able to anchor and at least go on shore, maybe scoop up a little sand, grab a rock, that sort of thing. And then sail north of Hawaii, get above maybe the 40th parallel, and then back down to Cape Horn. I'm just looking at the map. Up. That's unreal. Yeah, well, it, it would be, you know, around the 30,000 mile mark. So it'd be comparable distance wise. And, you know, doubling Cape Horn is definitely tricky because you can, you can, you can go around Cape Horn at the best time of year, but you can't do it twice at the best time of year. And, uh, which would be like December, January. And it, it would just be sort of a different trip. I mean, part of me doesn't want to end my solo sailing career on just a circumnavigation of, uh, of the Atlantic because I couldn't go through the Northwest passage, you know? Wow. And, 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 but that's at the same time, that's also makes me rethink, what I'm doing. Cause I also don't want to, I know that you can't just go out there because you're trying to feed your ego. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of battling with all these things in my brain at this point, but man, I don't know. Unreal. It, it be, what a cool story though. With yeah. Your great, 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 great grandfather. I mean, that's, it, it could definitely, um, you know, be a pretty interesting book where you could talk about the, the phosphates trade and also sort of try and tell his story. Although, you know, we don't have a ton of information on it, but... In a way, recreate it. Yeah, I mean, in, in his... One it's of the funniest... A lot funniest, of, layers. A lot one, of layers. Yeah, they could all sort of intertwine with, with sort of my experience going out there. But in his... Um, uh, what do they call it in the newspaper after you die? Obituary. In his obituary, one of the quotes they had was uh, when, when he was asked... If he would rather go back to that island or go to upstate prison, uh, go to prison in upstate New York, he'd choose prison. He said it was just awful. Like, there were rats. I mean, we're talking an island with like no trees oh. and just being dropped off with probably things like hardtack, which is just rock hard biscuits and probably salted pork. And yeah, it would have been, it would have been pretty miserable. I don't and think it would have been, you gar know, guarding this, this, this treasure yeah. essentially yeah, right? with literally bird poop it's having unreal. to smell it too you know <laughs> they're making more you know every yeah, day. Exactly. holy cow what we do for what we do for things man so that is knows? wild that is so if it wasn't sailing though what do you think uh you know i i definitely keep considering uh the pct or the cdt mm-hmm I would, I, you know, those long distance trails, they are really fun. Um, would you go after the triple ground then, you think? You know, I don't know. Um, I've been researching the Continental Divide Trail more than anything, um, just because it seems a little, a little wilder and a little less um, regulated for sure. I mean, you're, you're, I think you have to orienteer a lot of that because the trail 
It's, it's harder. Yeah, it's pretty much all there. But, it, you know, talking to people who have done all three, um, most people say they enjoyed the CDT the most as far as the experience of it. I mean, the AT these days, I guess, is sort of escalating into this this roaming party in the woods in a lot of ways. It's Com- what it seems like. Compared yeah. to, and and not to say that, it's still not, you know, miles and miles of empty wilderness, but compared to what it was 10 years ago, I think, I think it's, it's changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So the CDT is definitely the most remote of them still. Yeah. Um, more challenging. Uh, this family, I was going to show you of six, three girls, one boy, and then mom and dad, they recently, they just did it last year. They, oh, wow. they live right around here. Oh really? Yeah, family here right here from Florida that that's doing them all. They did they started with the PCT last summer or year before. Yeah. 2020 summer CDT and the next summer going to finish it off with a party on the AT. Nice. They're all wow. like ages 10 to 17. Well, and think about all the experiences cool? they Oh my gosh. They're skipping they're amazing. they're missing out on school for it, but they've got permission from the schools and they really They're going to learn a heck of a lot. And they're lot from more. right like down the like like <laughs> 45 minutes from here, man. It's crazy. And wow. uh we just we had them on the show and it was just they they had a heck of an experience out there this year, but that's cool. Yeah, cuz you've got this experience with that, uh, the Appalachian Trail to Right, um, right. Well, and I I the one thing about the AT I did think is the southbound trip would be very different because usually the trail will weed out people that can't or are really probably are in it for the wrong reasons, so to speak. Um, you know, cause I, on my experience in 2012, by the halfway point, I, the majority of people had already dropped out. And so it just thins out. And so if you're starting in the North in like say September, then most of the people have already, most of the northbound hikers have already finished or uh, have dropped out. So you're you're basically on a southbound trip following the the fall colors and trying to sort of beat winter, I guess. Oh but, man, you think you could beat winter starting that late? That's uh, you know, I don't I don't know because I've never I've never talked to any southbounders uh, about how they what time they left. I just and had all a friend stuff. do it this year. Oh, okay, southbound. what when did he leave in I think July? July. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Because of COVID, the plan was to go north starting in March, but or April, but you know that couldn't happen. Right. Right. But southbound July, I think he did it in three months and thirty days, like a day under four months. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If I'm not mistaken. So. Hey. Well, should I just very briefly uh, finish where I where I went on that trip? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Just take, sorry. Because I know, no, no, it's all right. I just, I was like, oh man, you know, maybe we'll have to do a two-part or something. Um, but it, as I was going south and my brain is sort of losing it a little, trying to figure out what I was going to do, halfway in between the Azores and the Cape Verde Islands, I start getting into just way less wind, more motoring, the temperature is starting to skyrocket. And, uh, and then I'm entering the area where like the hurricanes are born. So these huge thunderstorms are coming off and they're called tropical waves. And they just, if they start to rotate, then they basically turn into a hurricane. So I'm crossing that path and I'm really starting to sort of question what I'm doing and I'm just getting further and further away. But at that point I can't, I can no longer really cross the Atlantic because there's so many hurricanes that just keep popping up. And, uh, that's when I think I hit like sort of the psychological low point was my, my water started going, you know, the, the level of that was going down. So I was sort of finding myself in the situation I was in on the last trip. This time I still had the same pump, a new one. Um, but I was basically, uh, experiencing something that I'd never felt, which was just this, this sort of inkling that I was actually starting to lose my mind. Uh, yeah, where I remember one day specifically where it started raining and it's super hot and I was motoring and the, the, the engine on that boat is pretty loud. So it sort of takes over everything. It's very hard to sleep, do anything because it's just rah, 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 that, that going on. And so it's raining and I'm down below and I can't catch any of this water because it's got so much Sahara dust in it and so it's bacteria. So I'm in this situation where. 
I'm, I'm really far away from home. I can't get off of this boat. It's raining, so I'm trying to be down below so I'm not getting rained on. And the engine is just cranking away, and it's hot. And I'm literally like almost lose it. And I go up and I'm standing up on that deck. And I still to this day remember just being up there and thinking just for a split second, like about jumping off. And I was just, I, I, it was the weird feeling. It was, it was the only time I ever felt like I, I couldn't, I wasn't in control of the thoughts that were going through my brain. And that was, that was the point where I was like, okay, I got to go back. Like I have to. So I, I basically went down and came up with the game plan of, you know, go a little further south, almost to the equator, and then head back, you know, sort of out of the hurricane belt and wait until just about the tail end of September. So it was sort of safe, I guess. Um, but it, it was like this tipping point because before that, I was still sort of in limbo wondering you know, if I'll go around the world again, or maybe I'll go around backwards. And just, it was just the strangest, like my brain just started feeling more and more off. And of all the time I've been out of sea, I've never experienced that. I've never had any thought that like, maybe I could actually lose my mind out there. Um, and that was the only time I ever actually felt like if I don't come up with like a solid game plan and actually you know, be heading somewhere, like I will, I will actually lose my mind. And I, you know, I've read enough stories of, of accounts of people that have, and I've met people that have come back from sea and you can tell they're pretty off. And I just never, I never once ever thought that that was going to be something I would be susceptible to. But on this trip, oh man, it, it was, I will never, like right now I'm picturing myself standing up on that deck and I was just up on the bow and I'm sort of holding on to this thing. And for whatever reason, it kept going through my head to like jump off and the boat's moving. So if I jumped off, obviously like it would be over, but, uh, there, there would be nothing you could do. No. Yeah. The boat would just keep going and, uh, and I'd be sort of stuck there, but yeah, it was just this weird apex mentally, you know, that, that I sort of had to break free from. And then, yeah, I mean, I basically was able, I was really lucky on the return from the equator to South Carolina, where the boat is now. For whatever reason, I went underneath Hurricane Teddy and a couple others. And then when I did my cut to go across towards the Caribbean, basically right across the hurricane belt, um, the hurricane season just paused for like two weeks. The whole time I was going across, it went from being the busiest hurricane season to nothing. And then as soon as I got there, the hurricane started coming out of the Gulf again. It was weird. That's a, that's <laughs> a hell of a story. Right? Then that was, I mean, you know, I could draw that out quite a bit, but that was sort of the crux of what, what sort of ended that trip. Um, and I don't know. I, you know, it was, there were definitely amazing things that I saw down there, especially sailing between Africa and the Caribbean, um, you know, where these hurricanes are developing. I got to see sort of the actual, how it looks, what these cloud formations do, but I was in a race to sort of get back. And I, I just knew I was like, I'm going to literally go crazy in not a good way out Without here. Without a direction or, or a yeah, goal. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once wow. I made that choice, then all of a sudden, those thoughts were gone, but I think it was just the, the idea of being in limbo out there and being stuck that just, it was slowly a ticking time bomb in my head. So does that scare you now? Uh, it worries me a little as far as attempting another big, big trip. Um, but it's almost like I'd rather know that that's a possibility. So it'll at least make me aware that it's there and so if it, if it, if i was ever out there and you know that started like say i went around cape horn got in the pacific and all of a sudden i start losing and it, it was a worse situation yeah i'd be like okay well give me let's go to tahiti then we'll just go there you know so i don't know it was it was probably one of the most surprising parts of that voyage to just have something like that happen that i i never expected at all it was Something else, but you're, 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 you're pretty mentally 
strong. Yeah, I mean, you have to be Thank to you. be out there. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you. you I don't hear that very often because <laughs> <laughs> you're out there alone. No, yeah, right. No, but for real, you, you just to be able to face the ocean like this is takes a lot of mental strength and fortitude and perseverance and like I, I that's one probably the biggest reason it scares me is like I don't trust myself out there with that amount of uh unknown i don't know how i would fare mentally so well I, i'll tell you what i'll make an agreement with you right now once once sort of the world does get back to normal and you can like fly to other countries and it's no big deal i will get us on like a delivery from the bahamas to florida that's an overnight it's like 90 miles it's overnight uh if you're going from bimini yeah i think it's only like 90 miles or something real offshore passage gulf stream wicked awesome. storms you never know. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Oh, Can I ask you one last question? Yeah, oh yeah. I'm sorry. This no, I got been... I got all the time in the world. And this is <laughs> this is definitely like Hollywood, you know, Hollywood mindset coming in, American mindset. Are pirates a problem? Uh they are in certain areas, uh, but typically that is gonna be within, you know less than a hundred miles offshore less than a hundred miles and probably in certain places too in, yeah i mean that that the biggest hot spots are southeast asia like indonesia places like that it still happens a lot um obviously on the somali coast um in you know uh is it the gulf of aden up there by you know yemen and all that the red sea that's that's a place you don't want to sail for sure um the amazon off the coast of liberia um, but again you know if you're if you're 100 miles out that's a long way for a band of you know pirates to try and come out cuz it's not it's not like the olden days where they were crossing the atlantic of, as on these sailing ships and and terrorizing the caribbean I mean, these guys are on motor, you know, old trawlers and stuff boat. with little tiny little speedboats that they can put in the water and then they, they'll go take tankers and things like that. But, you know, if you're, if you're trying to cruise and do like the Suez Canal from the Indian Ocean to the Mediterranean, I mean, that's, that's some seriously rough territory to go through. And, you know, you're a sitting duck out there. If you're, you're just a, a sailboat, obviously the people are going to target you because if you own a sailboat, there's probably some valuables on it. And, and pirates, you know, most of them, from what I understand, they're just going to basically kill everybody because they're going to sink the boat afterwards. Cause then there's, there's just no evidence of anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. Some of the, I think the, the only real pirate story I know of was uh, Sir Peter Blake, who was like a big time, round the world racer he was a kiwi and uh i think he was like america's cup and everything he was on some boat somewhere near the amazon delta i believe and this was 10 15 20 years ago um but he was with a bunch of people and um they got boarded by pirates and i think he went down below for a shotgun and came back up and they just started to unload i don't know if they killed everybody on the boat but i think they definitely killed him so it's it's a threat. I, the the only thing you can really do is is basically put your hands up and hope to God they don't kill you. But I I don't know. I always stay way offshore, and anybody brave enough to come out there probably has respect for everybody else out there. I mean, I've had some weird encounters, but I've never. Uh, you got time to tell us? Yeah. Oh encounter? yeah. Well, and I, I just told this story on. Uh, <laughs> on tiktok actually i keep coming up um and i keep telling people it's not a big issue um i was maybe 400 miles off the coast of brazil headed north so i'd been on the boat for maybe 230 240 days and i see this little um just looks like a little fishing boat or trawler or something like that this was on your most recent trip uh, no, this was on the round the world trip. Round the world, yeah. And I see him way off on the horizon, maybe six miles away, and he's headed that way, and I'm headed the other way. And then I'm sort of watching him because, you know, it's something new to see. Right. And all of a sudden, he does a 90-degree turn, and he starts heading towards me. So I go down below. I look um, on the AIS, and there's no there's no signal for him. 
And then I call on the VHF radio and there's no chatter back. And usually out in the ocean, nobody's, you don't like purposefully approach another boat without at least calling them on the radio or something like that. And it was really light wind. So I'm barely moving at all. Maybe like two knots, so like walking pace. And I don't have an engine at that point because I'd run out of fuel. And I'm basically sort of sitting there watching it and he's getting closer and closer, gets within like two miles. And so I know he's, he's definitely coming towards me. It's not like a fishing boat that's just like picking up nets or something like that. And as he gets closer, I'm looking through the binoculars and there's just rust streaks. And this thing looks like just beat up, rough and tumble. And I'm not seeing any fishing gear any of the telltale signs of, you know, a working boat. I'm just seeing this bow that's sort of chugging along at me. And I'm thinking like, wow, okay, this could be it. And I had my shotgun down below, but it wasn't loaded. And I'm starting, you know, the heart was starting to beat a little faster. Yeah. Did you go get it? Uh, I thought about it. And then I, I also thought about going down and trying to pop out of the forward hatch, like with different clothes on. Um, that's an old trick from Joshua Slocum, one of the first guy who sailed around the world back in the 1800s. Um, he would, he would do that to make it seem like there are more people on the boat. And I've heard of other people doing that as well, but I was sort of, I'm just watching this thing. I'm like, God, it can't be that, but maybe it is. And my brain starts, you know, going crazy and gets within like half mile. And I'm still seeing no telltale signs that this is an actual fishing boat. And it's just looking worse and worse. And and I think, okay, well, I don't have engine, so I'm not maneuverable. There's no reason to load this shotgun because what am I going to do? I mean, this is a, a power boy. He just smashed into me. So I just sort of sat there and I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. But he kept coming and coming and I'm getting more and more worried. And he gets within about 50 feet and does a turn. And on the back, there's like three dudes and they're all holding up tuna. And they're, they're basically shouting, you buy, you buy. <laughs> they're they a fishing boat from Brazil, uh, Recife, I think. And literally, I, I could barely even talk. I was, I was so filled with adrenaline just because on the whole voyage, I've been by myself and any ships I saw were just passing, you know. And then all of a sudden to have this sort of attention and, oh, my gosh. I, and the one guy, the... Uh, he had a camera and I would kill to have that picture that he took because he would probably see my eyes, but 10 times bigger than they are right now. It was, it was just scary. I mean, you know, it just doesn't happen. That doesn't happen out there. It's the only time I've ever had anything like that. You know, I mean, the only other weird thing was, um, a few days or weeks prior to that, I came across a drifting oil tanker. That was, it was at night. It was showing two red lights, which means not under command, not a single other light on this thing. It was like maybe six to 800 feet long. And it was the only reason I saw it besides the red light was that it was blocking the stars as I got closer. But for all intents and purposes, there might not have been anybody on that boat. And it's just this huge oil tanker just floating in the middle of the Would there be Atlanta. any way to explore it? You just, you don't have that capability. I, yeah, I thought about it, but I, at the same time, I was kind of like, well, if they're, I don't know what they're doing and what, what's going on here. The engines weren't on and it was essentially just drifting. So I just figured it's nighttime. I'm just going to keep going. But I did envision in my head, I was like, yeah, hey, you know, I could hook up a tow line and take this as salvage. It's got to be worth something. <laughs> in the scrap heap or something like that. I don't know. Those those were some of the oddball oddball things I've I've seen out there. But you know, people they they're like, have you seen UFOs or anything like that? I've definitely seen some weird stuff in the sky. But on this last trip, I did see um, some of the Starlink satellites, and I thought that was a UFO forever because it was it was like one, two, three, and then do 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 do. Yeah. All in a perfect line. I was like, oh my God, it's like a ship up there is dropping things off. Wow. And it was, yeah, somebody finally said, uh, it's probably Starlink, bud. <laughs> Thank Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah for real. <laughs> I saw those get dropped off the other day, another round of them. Uh, wow. So I'm sure more of the weird stuff happens when you're in towns and stuff, just dealing with people. Oh, All, I mean, there's got to be just a, there's got to be some, some, some wacky folks in this kind of moving around the world on boats 
subculture just like oh, there is in the rv go, world yeah, 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 you know yeah. what i mean or like bikepacking sure. world it's like hit or miss you you see someone else crossing paths on the road they're going the other way and you're it could be you know just someone biking it could be anything going on there right, you, right. there's all kinds of people out there well and, and typically like in the in the sort of cruising world you know you go from marina to marina and there's there's people where their boats are moving and and they're what you'd call cruisers and so they're Obviously, they have to keep their boats in working order and all sort of stuff. Then you've got like your liveaboards where it's, you know, they, they might not move. They just live on a boat, you know, at a marina or something. And then there's another sector, which you don't run into, at least I haven't too much. But it's where like there is a boat when you first see it and it's usually on anchor and it looks like it might have been sitting there for 20 years. You know, maybe it's leaning to one side a bit. But there's a there actually be a person living on it, and definitely interesting characters. If uh, if you ever get a chance to talk to there's there's one right by my house. Any um, of these guys, yeah, right well, in the water. There's all kinds of stuff tied to the the deck, the top. Yeah, buckets oh yeah. and tarps yeah. going. You know, shredded tarps over <laughs> the top of unshredded ones. And I I chat with some of some of these these people, and and it's always interesting to hear. You know what how they got there and all that sort of stuff what i typically check out at is when they start talking about wanting to you know sail the boat around the world and stuff like that and mm-hmm. i kind of take a look around it's going to take a little work <laughs> some prep <laughs> happy to help but yeah. but yeah i mean there's all facets of people out there on on and you're right it, it's like this sort of subculture so cool man it's pretty cool i i really enjoy it and i've only said if anybody's ever lonely living in a house somewhere, just buy a boat and put it in a marina because there's just people everywhere. And yeah. you can't you can't get away from them. It's great. It's great. They come over. They not, I, When I try and do my podcast sometimes, um, two or three times, I'll have people come up and they knock on the hall. And it's like, hey, yeah, we're doing a podcast. Give us uh, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And I, I keep it in. I, I don't edit it out or anything. I love it. It's a common occurrence. You know? oh, well, tell Marina me, life. where can folks listen to the podcast? Uh, so I've, I've tried to make it easy. Everything is sailing into oblivion across the board. So the podcast is called the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. And it's it's on all the, the normal ones, Spotify and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, recently... One of my little cousins had me set up a, a TikTok account because I had all this vertical filmed footage of like me just talking while I was on my big trip that I couldn't really use for anything else because it's in that vertical format. And uh, I was showing him some of the videos. He was like, dude, you got to do it. And so I set up a TikTok thing and there's it's like all this old footage I never thought I was going to use. I'm just throwing it up on there. And People are eating it up, so I'm just gonna keep putting it out. <laughs> are they really? Uh, yeah, That's I mean, awesome. it, it went up to tens of thousands of followers really quickly, and it was pretty cool. And so I'm just trying to answer questions and and you know give people the content that they're looking for. But yeah, YouTube, any of it, it's all sailing into oblivion. And I guess the only thing I really want to plug, if that's cool, is the audio book, the audio version of Sailing Into Oblivion's out on Audible. You can get it on Amazon. I'm getting it. Nice. I'm getting it. I want to. I well, I'll tell you what. I can give you a promo code. No, 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 no. That's, that's, you, you gotta, gotta support you. Ah, well, I'm I appreciate doing. it. But, no. um, yeah. So that's all. That's all I got. You, you can tell a story, man. I, the, you, you can tell a hell of a story. You make it easy, Mason. I, you know, honestly, I, I probably wouldn't have started doing my podcast at all had I not. I, I think it was the one that I did with you that, I was like, yeah, I think, you know, that could be something I could do. And it's, I, it's just, obviously I, I don't have sort of the people that I usually target for my interviews, obviously are people that are around me within proximity, just because I like to do them, you know, face to face, but it's typically the people that are, I, I want to call them the beginnings of the adventures because they're the ones that have just sold their house or done, you know, changed their life and been like, I'm getting a boat and I'm going for it. And so I don't know, it's, it's kind of cool. And hopefully maybe it'll, you know, five years from now, some of them will want to come back on if I'm still doing it. Yeah. And they'll be like, guess what we did. 
That's awesome. That that could be pretty cool. So I will say I, I love podcasts because like what other what other medium in today's world do you get to have a really in-depth conversation with somebody? Yeah. And then that conversation is out in the world for people to interact with you and cross paths with you and you know it builds this little community around it it it's been six years of doing this not me doing every one of them but the last two and a half years for me and uh the previous host did it for quite a few years but it's just cool to get just the random email on a tuesday of like wow this, this podcast yeah, has right? changed my life or it's so rewarding you know i i my son i don't know if he'll ever even care about this stuff but I'd be like, you know, your dad had all these conversations. He didn't do all this stuff, but he talked to these people and got to tell, help tell these stories and give it to the world. And it's, uh, it's definitely a joy. Well, your yours is dangerous for for me because I start listening to some of them and I'm like, ooh, that sounds fun. I could do that because I I'm I've never been hung up on like, oh, I want to be the first to do this or that. I just, I want the experience and I want stories at the like end of the, the day. Biking. Oh man. Biking and running. And just, I mean, I think the ocean for me is always just going to be sailing. Cause the thought of like rowing across, I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. Where are the sails? <laughs> You'd be kidding me. But and I got to have my stuff, cocktail. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the hiking. Oh man. I don't know. Whenever I, whenever I listen, I'm just thinking to myself, That's cool. that sounds like I could do something like that. But, who knows? I'm sure we'll we'll have to we'll we'll sit down again at some point. But this has been fantastic. I yeah, it's been great to meet you first. Yeah, in yeah. Person. It's, I love it's, it. it's rare that I get to meet these folks. They're always joining from random places in the world. You know what I mean? Right, like right. I was talking to somebody in, I mean, the Netherlands last week, and uh, just you know, it'll be Norway the next week. It'll be Africa the next week, and so it's like yeah, it's, it's, it's very. It's not gonna, you know probably never meet these people in person but you get a conversation and you feel like you know them you know a little yeah, bit more yeah exactly i feel yeah. like we're friends i mean yeah. you, you no. may not feel that way i feel that way no, i feel that way but well, how, well how, how long are we up to two hours oh wow and 15 okay. minutes felt like the blink of an eye well that that's great and uh yeah Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, just go to podbean.com and you can become a patron and keep the show on the air. Also, if you like the music at the beginning, the album is called Deep Teal and the artist is Adrian Edson. It's available on Amazon Music. And if you want the full story of the trip around the world, the book, the Kindle book, and the audiobook can all be found on amazon.com, Sailing Into Oblivion. The solo nonstop voyage of the mighty sparrow. Fair winds and following seas.